Welcome to the AWPT Podcast, a safe space for personal trainers and coaches who want to learn, grow, and feel heard in the fitness industry. Each week, we'll bring you industry-relevant discussions on all things coaching, mindset, and professional development, empowering you with the tools to be a competent and confident coach. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the AWPT podcast. Today, back by popular demand by me as much as anyone, <laughs> um, I'm joined once again by Kayla, founder of AWPT. Uh, welcome back. First Thank of all. you for having me back. I love doing these. Like, it's so fun just jumping on and riffing, and it's like I feel like it's been a while since we've done some decent podcasts, so... Definitely. And I think, I mean, last week's episode in particular was such a doozy. Obviously, we went on our little tangent um, at the start about, you know, everything, universe, manifesting, all of that kind of stuff. But the real meat of the episode in terms of injury management and working with um, clients who are injured was such an insightful episode in general. Um, So if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that one, everybody. Um, And yeah, really exciting timing because obviously the um, our injury rehab series came out or went live, I should say, last week, which is very exciting. Yeah, it's been so awesome just to see like how coaches can really make a difference and really make an impact on their clients and helping their clients with their injuries. Like it's so awesome to just see people jumping into the course straight away. Like it's a resource that you can come back to at any time. You get instant access to all the modules and really like it's going to be such a game changer for you in terms of like not you know, if your client comes to you and says, I can't train for two weeks because of this injury, it's like, you know what to do. And you know that the best thing for them may not be not to train. And like the best thing may be for them to keep training with you. Um, And you're going to be able to get them back to even better than they were and not just let things slide. So I think that's really going to help coaches with their confidence in terms of talking to clients and knowing that they can make such a difference in their movement and their quality of life. Definitely. And do we want to quickly just touch on like a couple of the like frequently asked questions that we got in terms of the rehab series, just a few things that I noticed that came through in our DMs. Um, But number one being um, like how long is the course, like how many modules are there, like what is sort of to go with that? Yeah, I saw one of those questions. So it is nine modules long and each module goes for around 40 to an hour, maybe a little bit longer. So it's really not that long of a course. And because you get instant access, you can totally binge them all in a weekend Um, or you can take your time and spread it out over time if you really just want to focus on one module at a time. And, you know, perfect if you have a client who's experiencing something, you can just jump to any module there's no like sequence of like you have to go through all of them to be able to get to like chronic pain or whatever it is so um yeah it's just a really awesome resource that you can just jump in at any time like any time throughout your career if clients experiencing any of the symptoms on any of the joints so yeah really like it's quite uh, like I really like keeping things applied. Like I don't like putting in fluff into any of our courses because I really think if you can get to the point, speak to it simply, then, you know, there's not all this confusion around what to do. 
Exactly. And I love that point that like, depending on what you're wanting to use the course for at this particular moment, like maybe you do have a client that's come to you and said, oh, I've got knee pain. And so yes, you can just jump straight into the knee module and sort of learn about what potentially could be causing the knee injury, how you can rehab it, like how you can incorporate other exercises to strengthen it then as a result. Um, Or if you're like, okay, I just want to sort of like broaden my understanding of injury management. Um, then you can, yeah, as you say, binge watch the whole series in a weekend or in a week, or you can sort of spread it out if you're that type of learner as well that you need to like do one at a time and really sort of like focus and then apply each one with your clients. Um, But I guess, and that's the beauty of this being a um, pre-recorded course in the sense that you can you can learn however you want to, or you can approach this course however you want to. It's not like if you do one and then you like miss three weeks, you haven't missed Mm out on this like live component as well so it really is like um an ever-present uh course or something that or resource I should say yeah and also you're going to notice patterns as well throughout the course so each module follows the same pattern which is the same pattern that I use like um for anyone who doesn't know I'm a physio by trade it's the same pattern that I use to assess clients in clinic. So, for example, like we go through a subjective assessment, we ask the right questions, you're going to see over and over and over, we're asking similar questions to gain an insight into what the client is experiencing. And then we go into objective assessment, which, you know, we're not physios, so we're not doing anything like uh, special tests that physios might use, but easily we can check range of motion and we can check stability super easy. And usually most musculoskeletal injuries come down to a restriction in one of those things or a limitation in one of those things. So we're going through range of motion, we're going through stability, and then we're also going through function as well. We look at red flags, we look at things that may uh, give us, you know, the incentive or the the um, idea to that we might need to refer out as well. And then we go through potential working uh, hypothesis. So anything that might give us a clue as to what it might be as again as coaches we don't diagnose we're not diagnose anything however it's not a rule that you can't know what certain injuries are so for example like if it's the knee we go through patellofemoral pain like is it um an acl and mcl you know some kind of ligamentous injury is it more of a tendon injury is it you know all like inflammation, what could it be? So um, you can know all these things. You can have it in your head. You're not going to diagnose your client. But you can go, okay, you know, I'm thinking that this is what it is. You know, I see a restriction in mobility or I see a restriction in stability. So therefore, I'm going to work on those things with my client, which is the best form of treatment anyway, because like the best form of treatment is going to be, you know, getting your client stable, getting your client strong, getting them moving correctly. It's not necessarily manual therapy, even though manual therapy can be helpful in initial stages to help with range of motion restrictions and things like that pain to be able to get to that functional point. But I think a lot of people miss the in-between of like, okay, we've got our rehab, then we've got our performance, but like what's this bridge in between? And that's really what we're doing. I think also um, one of the 
good things about this course in terms of understanding the different types of injuries is again as you said like we're not able to sort of diagnose all of that kind of stuff but it doesn't mean you can't understand what an injury is and how it might impact your particular client or yourself or whoever it is you're working with and I think for example working um, or having that like symbiotic relationship with another allied health professional like a physio who your client might be seeing say your client went out and saw a physio and they diagnosed them with like patellofemoral pain mm. then you then as a coach understand what that actually means because I know like for me for example I've had clients come to me and say things and I'm like okay <clears throat> I don't yeah. know what that means like <laughs> what did the like what did the physio say that like what's the impact of that what yeah. they can and can't do so again even if you're not necessarily because again we obviously have to work within our own scope of practice but understanding yeah the different muscles and also what to look out for but then on the other end like understanding the different injuries and what that means is yeah and you know what like that brings up a really good point because I think you're going to make a lot of physios jobs a real like so much easier as well because you know for me working as a physio one of like the bane of my existence was people not doing their exercises and you know you send them home with like their rehab exercises you show them how to do them in the clinic they come back in and it's like have you done your exercises and it's like no and I totally get why because it's boring and no one wants to do it however if they're still working together with their coach the coach knows what to do in terms of okay we can do these exercises together but even better than that like for me my real passion is like doing exercises properly in a way that's actually prehabbing, rehabbing clients. So it's like, you know, cause you've done the mentorship, but it's like, okay, we're doing a tricep exercise, but actually we're doing a shoulder stability exercise. So the client thinks that they're training and it's not boring. It's fun because they're doing the training, but actually we know the real intention behind the exercises that we select. Definitely. And I think that applies to so many things as well. And as you say, like, it's that sort of prehab component as well. And it's that ongoing management, even I think, in particular, something like back pain or something is like a very obviously a common um, concern or like chronic pain or whatnot that people will sort of present with. So if you know, they've come to you and they've hurt their back, and it's in that sort of like acute time where you are sort of rehabbing it and whatnot but you know also that the issue or like part of the reason that they have their back pain is because of weak whatever glutes or core or whatever it ends up being that Mm. is something that you then need to keep in mind just as on an ongoing basis in terms of their programming like are you implementing enough core exercises are you implementing enough glute exercises depending on what the imbalance is Um, And it's not just, okay, what are the rehab exercises that we do for this like 10 week kind of program? It's okay, as an ongoing thing training throughout the lifespan, how can we avoid certain injuries knowing that there is this weakness there? How can we strengthen it? Um, And all of that kind of stuff as well. Yeah. And there is definitely like key things within your client's training and within your client's movement that you can pick up on. And I know that I can pick up on, okay, if this person doesn't have adequate external range of motion of their shoulder, I know that they're going to do a bicep injury. So like looking at those things and being able to say, oh, like this is going to be an indication for potential of this injury. 
And what I was, I was sending Tara a message just before, like in our WhatsApp group about um, uh, this exact topic is like, a lot of the times we also look at injuries and we look at the tissue tolerance. So we look at, okay, let's take the back pain example. There's back pain. Okay. You know, assess range of motion, assess stability, potential weak core, potential like unstable glutes, or I like to say unstable core because the core doesn't necessarily need to be strong. It needs to be stable and also unstable glutes because they need to be stable or glute me, glute min specifically. Um, and we forget about the other side of the injury equation. So the injury equation is when the applied load is greater than the tissue tolerance, then that's when we're going to see an injury. And so we can look at the tissue tolerance and we can go, okay, let's stabilize the core. Let's stabilize the glutes and we should be good. However, if you're still going and doing like exercises that are aggravating the back pain and there's, let's just say in the case of back pain, a lot of shear forcing in the program, then the injury isn't going to improve no matter how much core and glute stability work you do because you're still doing the thing that's aggravating the the pain. So what you need to do is you also need to look at your load and you also need to look at your programming. And that's why I always say the best injury management or not necessarily injury prevention because there's no such thing, but minimizing your risk of injury, the best thing that you can do is a well-designed program and recovery, well-designed program. And so, yeah, like amazing. We want to be doing all these rehab exercises off the back end and then progressing them so that we are getting back into performance and we are using those muscles functionally. But also we need to look at the actual program, the exercises that we're selecting and making sure that we're in accordance with where we want to be in terms of how much we can actually uh, or we're adapted to at that point. Mm. And that was one of the big things I think that I learned in or one of the key takeaways I took from, I don't know if it was the AWPT course, I think it was probably actually the mentorship, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was this idea of like, how much sheer force have you got in your program? Um, And again, it's that whole idea of like actually looking at your programming and making sure that it's sort of smart as well. Um, But that was something that I didn't ever like fully think about in terms of, okay, like, yeah, I've got deadlifts at the start of this workout but then I've gone into like bent over rows and now I'm doing like all of this kind of stuff and I've realized no wonder my back hurts at the end of this workout like I've spent half the time hinged over Um, (laughs) and so again it's just like being aware of what you've programmed how you've programmed is it like is it smart um and how can you yeah sort of swap exercises in and out being like okay I know I want to work the lat, for example, is there another variation of this exercise that I can do that's maybe a bit more of a vertical pull rather than being hinged over? Like, and then having sort of a um, big exercise exercise bank, like we did when we did the mentorship of different exercises that are going to target similar muscles, so that you can like pick and choose different exercises, so that you're not spending the whole time in one position or sitting down or, um, yeah, like being in a fixed machine, all of that kind of stuff that might impede the amount of like range of motion or, or your cue angle or whatever it ends up being. Um, that was a big takeaway that I got from the mentorship in particular. Yeah. And another example of that, like, let's just say you have knee pain and you're a runner 
And it's like, okay, you can do all the strengthening exercises. You can strengthen the quads, strengthen the hammies, strengthen the calves to help stabilize the knee joint. However, if you're going and still running 20 kilometers a day, like the loading is too much for it to have the ability and the time to rehab. So, you know, we need to look at the loading of like, how much running are we doing? How much running can we do? Because, you know, doing nothing unless, you know, it's indicated that we can't do any running at that point in time, you know, how much can we do and be able to recover from and then still, you know, be able to continue with our programming and then progress on the next time. So it is a fine line and it is, it does take a lot of like critical thinking and trial and error and things like that. And really being confident in your ability to say, okay, yeah, we can go an extra kilometer this week, or we can go an extra whatever it is. And, you know, it's going to take experience with certain clients, but that's just another example of, you know, looking at the tissue tolerance, but also like how much loading, because that one often gets missed. Mm, Definitely. I think also this kind of is going to transition onto what the, the topic of this exercise is, not exercise, this episode is, um, which is sort of training throughout the lifespan is knowing to you know the different injuries or conditions that are going to be the most like relevant to your particular client based on their age obviously with AWPT we talk a lot about like sex and gender and all of that kind of stuff and how that impacts these things but I think age is a big component as well um particularly older age and our like more senior clients um who are a bit more prone to injuries um or at risk of injury I should say um yeah I think understanding the different their different limitations what is going on in their body that makes them more susceptible to certain injuries or conditions and how then we as coaches can manage that as well because the way that we train a 22 year old boy in the gym is going to be very different to like a 73 year old woman (laughs) um so maybe we can dive into that a little bit as well um particularly the sort of more senior end of the spectrum because I think the topic of training an aging population is potentially like a less sexy topic (laughs) like um you know bodybuilding or hypertrophy and all of this kind of stuff but if we think and often you know depending on who your ideal client is I think often we skim over this idea of like training more senior people Mm. but if we think about like the the types of people that are going to potentially have a slightly more disposable income or have more time on their hands or are at more risk of injuries and therefore are going to prioritize like more personalized care and training. Mm. Our aging population is like right up there with people that are like wanting and available to be trained. Um, Mm. And so we need to know how to train and coach them. (laughs) 
Yeah, really good point uh, with, you know, the aging population. Yes, they potentially have more money because they've worked their entire lives. So they do have the disposable income, like you said, to prioritize their health. They've got more time as well to be able to do that. And we are living longer because of medical advancements. We're living longer, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're living healthier. And so I think it is really, really important that we do focus on this age group, even if it is not the sexiest age group, because we can have such an impact on their quality of life, but also on our health care system. And, and they're not, you know, going into nursing homes or having to be in hospital because if if an elderly person and like I, I want to say like when we say elderly like we're going to define that I don't even want to say 65 because like my parents are 65 and I don't like let's just say like 70 ish up um if they if they fall if they like stumble they're weak they're frail and they have a fall their mortality rate doubles within the next one to three years which is an absolutely crazy statistic because what can happen is because their bones are also more frail, their bone mineral density is depleted, they've got osteopenia, osteoporosis, things like that, then they're really at risk of fracture. And so when with a fall, what when most fractures happen is either in the hip or in the ribs. And these are the two worst ones that could possibly happen because if you have a fracture in the hip, you have to be immobilized. You have to be in a wheelchair. You can't wait there. You can't be walking around and then you start to decondition and especially the older population is going to decondition quicker as well. And so then when there's going to require a lot of physio, a lot of rehab afterwards to be able to get back to or, or not even getting back to where they were before mobility wise because they've been, you know, stuck sitting down for such a long period of time and then the rib cage if there's a, a fracture in the ribs I've fractured my ribs snowboarding and it is so so painful and there's not really much you can do about it you just have to immobilize as well and what's going to happen it's painful to breathe and so they they can't breathe deeply if they're in hospital you know there's the risk of pneumonia they get pneumonia like you know it's really not a good outcome and so you know, it's really important that we do keep this population moving, we keep them strong, we keep them mobile, because it's really going to help their quality of life, but also it's going to ease up on the healthcare system, you know, carers and workers and things like that as well. Yeah, I I love that sort of overarching, I guess, approach or not even approach, but just importance because as you said like it is so twofold like yes it's going to help the individual but it also is greater than that like it it helps sort of the masses it helps the healthcare system it helps um the you know the aged care homes and like the the demand on that and all of that kind of stuff and i think too like as as we've said there's a there is a different way or a different approach to training when it comes to like that people are training for different things obviously you know across the spectrum of age but in particular with working with more senior people you know they're not necessarily training to get a six pack <laughs> they're they're training to you know because they're for longevity yeah and... For longevity and quality of life and to be able to like pick up grandchildren and like run around with their you know 
grandchildren or walk the dog and not get out of breath, like all of this kind of stuff. And also just to sort of feel good. There's a social element of it as well, depending on the individual and like their living circumstances as well. Um, And I think it's, there's an element too of finding the balance between not wanting to baby or like, I don't know, like I think sometimes as trainers, especially if you're not educated in training a more aged, uh, like an older client, um, it's the same with like pregnant women and all of this kind of stuff. If you don't know, we avoid because we're scared of like doing the wrong thing. Um, And I think for a lot of older people, that can be really like dehumanizing or I don't know, like there's another word that starts with D that I've just like lost. Um, <laughs> but basically, yeah, it's it's just like a bit humiliating. Like if we're just sort of babying them and being like, okay, here's your like one kilo weights. You can just like do some shoulder presses or like stand up and down on a chair. And obviously that's going to be applicable to some people depending on their like their Absolutely. strength, their health, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but equally too, there's a lot of stuff that we can do in the gym that, you know, a 20 year old does as well, that is also going to be beneficial. Like I always come back to this example of my aunt who is in the upward 60 age demographic. And she started, uh, she started deadlifting or strength training because of a sore back. Um, and obviously we know that deadlifts can actually be one of the most beneficial things for, um, back pain. And she is now like world champion, like deadlifting competitions like lifts double the amount that I do kind of thing that's amazing Um, and it's like so cool to see um and like very inspiring for me but again it's this idea of being like okay well there are things that like aging populations can and should be doing that don't have to be avoided just because you know they might be experiencing back pain or they're at more risk of injuries. Same with, you know, certain single leg exercises or even like a little bit of plyometrics potentially. Like I think we're so scared of like, Mm. oh, my God, I can't, like I don't want them to fall, so I'm just going to avoid any opportunity that, you know, they might be able to practice their balance um, is a big thing as well. Yeah, 100%. And we've even seen, there's even been research done on postmenopausal women because as we know in perimenopause and postmenopause, our hormones are declining. So number one, estrogen is a really important hormone, anti-catabolic hormone. And so what anti-catabolic means, it's not the same as anabolic where it's muscle building, but it prevents the breakdown of muscle. So uh, things like sarcopenia, where you start to lose your muscle mass, they start to happen around perimenopause, postmenopause. We know if we lose our muscle mass, we become weaker, we become more fragile. Um, But at the same time, estrogen also prevents the breakdown of bone because we see in women who may have hypothalamic amenorrhea, for example, they've lost their period, that their bone mineral density does decrease because the body is prioritizing energy to keep you alive and not necessarily going to the things that aren't necessarily keeping you alive, but that make you optimally healthy. So once we start to see the dig and and in perimenopause, like 
estrogen does a roller coaster. So it goes up and then goes down, goes up, goes down. So sometimes it's great because we can be in more of that follicular phase where it's like lots of energy and things like that. But then also we get the points where, you know, there might be hot flushes and things like that, or it's dropped down and, and progesterone is slowly declining over time during that time. So when it's down, you know, you can have more of that uh, luteal phase physiology, especially towards the end of perimenopause when we're reaching menopause, which is the point in time. Uh, but then postmenopausally, which is 12 months after your last period, we're seeing, we see declines in bone mineral density. We, we see declines in muscle mass uh, because of the lack of those hormones. And so what happens is we can start to lose balance. We can start to um, see like fractures, like um, fractures, yes, from traumatic things like falling or something like that, but more so also um, like wedging in the spine and stress fractures, which is, you know, the bones have been weakened. So keeping muscle mass is important and you, you talked about the younger populations we should be thinking about that now like I'm 32 I'm in my 30s so you know there's not that, like you know a couple years and then you know perimenopause can start as early as your late 30s so um, looking at that now building as much muscle mass now to prepare for those periods of time but then also knowing going back to the research that plyometrics and putting stress on the bones, as long as it's not doing too much, we can actually remodel the bones. So as you were speaking about before, like plyometrics, we might think could be quote unquote dangerous for the older population if they're unstable. And yes, that may be true, which is why we also want to work stability. But doing the plyometrics is also going to be helpful for bone remodeling and keeping the bone strong and the bone mineral density strong into older ages, which is crucial for the uh, aging population. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the AWPT podcast. I'm Kayla, the founder of AWPT University. And if you're here, you're probably a dedicated fitness professional, personal trainer, or online coach who aspires to create an impact in the women's health and fitness industry through up-leveling your knowledge and skills, servicing your clients to the highest standard, and building a business that changes both you and your clients' lives. Because we value your continuous education and want to reward our podcast listeners who are committed to their growth and learning, we want to gift you $200 off our OG AWPT eight-week certification. This comprehensive online course covers women's anatomy and biomechanics, training and programming for women, female-specific nutrition and health, training during pregnancy and postpartum, peri- and postmenopausal considerations, and so much more. Visit www.awptuniversity.com today and use the code AWPTPODCAST, one word and all uppercase, at checkout for $200 off. We've also linked it in the show notes for your convenience. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, I think the, you know, understanding the different types of regressions and progressions is going to be sort of key when it comes to all of that as well and as you like as we always talk about like a well-designed program as well um so I guess with that in mind and obviously with AWPT we're always talking about like how we can apply these kind of things um how would you go about structuring a program for 
let's say a woman in her 70s yeah um, so 70s not 80s she's still like living at home she's got grandkids like still relatively sort of mobile but yeah. is just wanting to sort of like build strength and prepare for even later in life yeah so it, again like all that context is really important because, you know, knowing that she's active and mobile already is going to really determine what kind of program I'm going to give her. But let's just say she's been active her most of her life and, you know, she's continuing into her older years and there's no like comorbidities or anything like that else happening and she's quite active is I would all like I always regardless of who the person is throughout any stage of life start with mobility stability so I would look at you know a lot of the times they might be quite you know rounded through the thoracic so if they're okay like there's no uh wedging fractures of the the spine as well like doing some mobility through the thoracic spine is going to be really important especially for the upper body and we know through you know, our movement preparation protocols that we've been through in like women's biomechanics, AWP mentorship, like always the same thing is that's going to be most important when you're working anything in the upper body. So mobility, probably also mobility through the hips a lot, then working and then jumping into stability as well. So once we're being able to get into the positions that we're going to be working from, we want to make sure that we're stable in those positions as well to minimize risk. And then first of all, to be honest, like if she is quite active, I would probably go through some plyometrics if she can still do that. Um, you know, I know like just looking at my parents, like they're quite young 60-year-olds. So I feel like my mum still goes to the gym. I feel like she could do a little bit of that. However, maybe not. Maybe, maybe it's like not necessarily repetitive plyometrics, but maybe it's more so like one jump or one box jump or one whatever it is um or maybe it's like a little jump down or something like that and so getting really creative with that is also you know part of being a coach as well and it also keeps things interesting for you and problem solving and not just going through the same thing um but if i was to take someone who was of a younger age group i would do plyometrics first anyway i would do the power work anyway if i was going to include it because we're freshest at the start of our programming and then I would move into the strength-based stuff maybe more of the compound stuff so if it was some barbell work a deadlift or a squat they're still being able to do that then I would move into those things uh, and then you know just breaking down the movement patterns uh, including some function so function is going to be a lot of unilateral work so whether it's split squats whether it's walking lunges you know, again, those can be progressed and regressed with more stability or less stability and support. And then again, like breaking that even further down into the individual muscle groups and getting them on machines and things like that, just to, to power mm. um, the output of the muscles. Um, and those are also really safe as well. So if, for example, you didn't trust your client with a barbell at that point in time, they were too unstable and you think they were at a risk of injury, you can swap it out for a leg press and a leg press is going to be a lot safer for that population as well. Um, so really like it's, stru it's structured in the same way, but there's just, you know, some considerations that you would make in terms of the exercises that you might select or the way that you'd run the program.
Yeah, I think even what you said at the start about, you know, taking into consideration their mobility and stability in terms of like some things that we often do see with a, an aging population, such as that more sort of hunched back or, um, yeah, a little bit of extra sort of frailty or, you know, a lifetime of certain injuries or sort of whatever it is, um, is definitely something to take into consideration as well in terms of some extra um because as you said there's a lot of stuff that you would do regardless of age um and the way that you would structure the program is is the same in terms of like plyo compound like all of that kind of stuff but yeah adding in a few extra things depending on things that the client presents with and there might be a, a theme in terms of a lack of mobility or or like you know, all of that kind of stuff. But if we go back to plyometrics, because I was just thinking as you were talking um, before about plyometrics in terms of different progressions and regressions um, with more sort of like plyometric movements, because as you said, like depending on the level of frailty or strength of the individual client, you know, you can modify plyometric exercises and then progress them as you go on because I was thinking like things sort of whether it's a, a a jump squat let's say which is sort of just a vertical jump or just a vertical jump in general might be a place to start where it's on both legs like you're jumping up and down and then um you could progress that to more of a broad jump where you're jumping forward um which obviously adds that extra layer of like landing in a different spot to where you landed before um and then you know progressing to more sort of like single leg movements as well because I know with plyometrics and I, I don't know exactly where I heard this I think it was someone talking about like burpees and whatnot for the aging population um and whether or not they should be avoided um but I think we, yeah, like we often avoid plyometric movements or jumping movements or burpees or like whatever it is because we're like, oh, like I don't want to injure the other person. But the thing with some of these plyometric movements is that they are like training the body to know what to do in case of a fall as well. And like Mm -hmm. with a burpee, for example, I think was the example that they were using it's obviously like a bit of a high impact exercise or we're like, oh, like this stupid, it's just cardio, whatnot. But then if you think of the actual movement pattern in terms of like getting down to the floor and then knowing how to get back up again as well is that like they were talking about it in reference to falling. Um, and I think, yeah, it's not just about, okay, training movement patterns in terms of like building muscle or bone density or all of that kind of stuff it's also like preparing the body for day-to-day scenarios that might throw people off balance such as falling such as single leg things such as like your center of gravity being thrown off as well um so it's like that muscle memory kind of thing as well yeah and functionality is also really important so that can definitely be included in a training program potentially and more so maybe in you know nursing homes and things like that where they do group programs and they do like you know a group exercise session and it's like you know one or two 
supervisors, coaches to a group of people. Um, but functionality is so super important because a lot of the times, and we, we talk about this in terms of like bodybuilding and things like that, even like squatting, powerlifting, it doesn't include a whole lot of function unless you put it in there as well. And so the body functions in a different way as to the exercises that we may be performing. So choosing exercises that are similar to the function of the body, which is the most functional thing we can do is walk and breathe and being able to perform those movements. So again, like that's why for older, like the elderly population, we also use things like sit to stand where it's like sitting down, standing up, because if they need to go to the toilet or if they're sitting in a chair and they need to get up and they need to walk somewhere, getting out of bed. So when I program for, you know, athletes, younger population, things like that, I don't really do box squats or I don't really do Turkish get-ups or burpees or anything like that because I can do them anyway. But for that population, they might be applicable because for example, the Turkish get-up is not really doing much for like you and I, but for that elderly population, like it's it's training them in being able to get up off the floor if say they were to fall over or a box squat is training that movement of a sit to stand where it's, you know, being able to get up off the toilet or sit down on the toilet or, you know, a chair and move around and things like that. And walking, breathing is the most functional thing that we can do. So anything that kind of mimics that movement, unilateral stuff, um, you know, plyometrics, functional movements, all very important for that aging population. Definitely. I think you made a, a good point there as well in terms of, I th- and this goes for not just sort of an aging population, but when we think about training people at different life stages, particularly like I think children and and um, the elderly, it's the exercises that we do don't have to look necessarily like a strict gym program kind of thing. Like you can and should, I would argue, be creative with the stuff that you're doing, um, especially like depending on um, – just to make it more accessible because not every person, especially if they're older, we're lucky in that, you know, times have changed a bit now where like gym training has become a bit more accessible to women um, in particular, but people in their like 70s, 80s, very late 60s, they might not have necessarily grown up in a culture which was like, okay, cool, we like as women we go to the gym and we do strength training, all of that kind of stuff. Um, mm. Or they might just not like it, especially like if you're training men or all of this kind of stuff so making the but knowing that it is important for them to do some form of resistance training how can we make that more accessible same thing with children like can we you know incorporate games can we like incorporate music I don't know if you've seen um and if you haven't and this goes for everybody um listening to this as well old people's home for teenagers or old people's home for um for like for four-year-olds it's on netflix it's an abc show and it is like if you find um up (laughs) the like disney pixar movie like emotional it's like that but real life um in that it's a social experiment or like social initiative which is pairing elderly people with it started with sort of preschoolers or four-year-olds yeah and bringing them together for like eight weeks um oh my god and like all the old people are like 
grumpy, depressed, um, frail, all of this kind of stuff. And then, you know, you've got these four-year-olds that are like super hyperactive um, and bringing them together for eight weeks and seeing how they help each other. So like the old people obviously help the four-year-olds with their communication skills and they're like, you know, learning and stuff like that. Whereas the four-year-olds are helping keep the like the elderly people active um they're like super encouraging of them to like get moving and all of this kind of stuff and it helps them with this like geriatric depression scale as well anyway they did it with teenagers as well and like they also helped each other because the teenagers were all depressed after covid and then the elderly people were depressed too (laughs) but my my point in bringing that up is because again they get like quite creative with how they keep these um old people or get these old people moving Mm. and like doing stuff like lawn bowls or whatnot like Mm. sounds boring for a 20 year old 30 year old but like picking a ball going side on like doing like the bowl movement getting low to the ground like that's all movement dancing that's all movement like to music that they listen to back in the day going on a treasure hunt with these kids like all of this stuff is activity it is you know resistance depending on what you do with it um it's all an opportunity to keep moving that isn't strictly just like put a barbell on your back in a gym um but that you can still incorporate within a gym session as well like whether it's a warm-up I know one of the coaches at one of the gyms that I work at, they do like a seniors class, which has gotten so popular, which is partly why I got this idea for their episode. Um, But like for the warm up, they did salsa dancing and then they got into some more strength stuff. But all of that kind of stuff can be applied. And I think is the sign of a good coach is your ability to make exercise accessible, to make it enjoyable, to be creative, all of that kind of stuff as well. I love that so much and it also makes me super emotional just thinking back to like playing bowls with my pop in the backyard. Like I used to, me and my brother used to play bowls uh, with pop in the backyard and essentially, yeah, that is lunging. Like you're doing a lunge in that movement and then, you know, dancing around the lounge room with Nana and like oh, it's so much fun uh, that we got to do those things. And, yeah, like especially with the young, like younger kids, have you seen how, like, I used to be so strong as a kid, like the monkey bars and like pulling across the monkey bars and like even like muscle ups. We used to be able to just do strict muscle ups as kids on bars. Like, <laughs> what the hell? And so, yeah, like all of that play is really developing like gross motor and fine motor skills in terms of like we have to learn gripping and we have to learn like to pull ourselves and to do, you know, the swinging movements and coordinate our limbs. And we're learning a lot uh, in those stages of our lives as well. And that's why, that's why play is so important for children because you learn so much in that period of your life. And also like I've, we've been having this discussion uh, with my partner at the moment as well, because obviously we're going to have kids in the next couple of years. And, you know, we're just talking about how, you know, from ages one to seven, children should not be in a classroom learning. They should be out in the world. They should be digging. They should be getting dirty. They should be scraping their knee. They should be trying and experimenting all these sorts of things carefully um, and, and getting feedback from it and building feedback rather than being sitting in a classroom, especially little boys. 
who have so much energy. And then, you know, we say these kids have ADHD and they have like learning difficulties and learning problems. No, they just need to be out playing and utilizing their energy. And if you were to put them in front of a video game for hours on end, they'd be able to concentrate. They don't have attention deficit disorder. They just need to be stimulated in a way that children are meant to be stimulated. And we could go like so deep into like all thoughts and opinions on all these sorts of things. But, you know, I'd love to watch that um, that series or, or whatever it is, documentary, um, because I feel like that's a really great initiative to put them together because I remember learning so much from my grandparents. Like we would we would cook and we would bake and we would do activities. We'd learn music. We'd play instruments. Like you go to your grandparents' place and you'd just do – so many different activities together and it's such a great learning experience you know for children for any you know period of life and you know it was super sad to see them get older and and be immobile and like have dementia and be having falls and then it's really a downward spiral from there as well so you know we should be really thinking about this you know through all stages of life as well and you know, incorporating functional movements and, and longevity and working, making sure we're looking at our mobility and we're looking at our stability and things like that as well. And, you know, I even think, you know, when you're talking about play, it's not even just for children and it's not even just for adult, like elderly people as well, incorporating that. I, and this is also relevant to the rehab series where I have a module on chronic pain. And I remember having a client in clinic and he was 40 and he had learning difficulties and he had anxiety and he was on all sorts of medications for it, like antidepressants, things like that. And I remember him saying like there was no pattern to his pain. He'd had scans. There was nothing that the scans were showing that was causing the pain. And he couldn't get his arms above his head or he felt like his left leg was always really sore and painful to walk and things like that. And all I did, number one, the first thing that I did, because my uh, employer at the time put me with him, was I just connected with him. Like I just asked him about himself. You know, I, um, you know, I was cheerful and happy and like all those sorts of things. And I also incorporated a lot of play into his program. So there was no manual therapy because there was nothing really to do. Um, but it was working his stability and getting him to exercise and getting him to get strong as well. But I found the thing that really helped with his pain was play. And we were playing like throw and catch one time. And I was like, I'm just going to see this. And so I purposely threw the ball above his head and he put his arms above his head to catch it, which was the painful movement that he couldn't do. If I asked him to just like, hey, can you do shoulder flexion? He's like, I can't do it. But then because we were playing and because, you know, you know, he maybe felt a little bit relaxed or he was distracted or whatever it was from the pain, he was able to do that movement without any pain. And like slowly over time, he started to get better and he even started to like take the medication away as well. And so I think, you know, there are there are so many different things that are impacting society today and like stress and like unhealthy um 
foods and the water quality and like our stress levels and all the things needing to make a living, cost of living, inflation, like relationships. There's so much social media. There's so much stress. Um, And when we kind of strip it all back and go back to basics, like really that is the most important thing. And it's the most important thing for not just our mental health, but our physical health, our emotional health as well. And yeah, I think it's like a really, really important subject that doesn't get talked about often enough. Definitely. I love that. And I love that example too, in terms of, yeah, incorporating play, you know, with all clients. I know there's another coach again at one of the gyms that I work at that is really, really good at this, in my opinion. And depending on, yeah, the type of client that you have, and it's not just about like their age, but it's also about their personality and like how much they enjoy what they perceive exercise to be and like all of this kind of stuff. And yeah, just like their general personality and mentality. But yeah, can you use play to disguise certain exercises to make them more enjoyable like I know he often does um like if he's doing classes as a finisher to the class like doing tug-of-war stuff with the class Mm. or if you've got individual clients he does these things where he um gets boxes that you would use like box jumps or box squats and stuff like that and he stacks them up and then he gets people to try and like knock them over with a medicine ball so obviously there's a lot of core work there's shoulder work there's strength there's power and it's like setting a timer of how quickly can you knock over all of the boxes all of this kind of stuff or like dodgeball all of this kind of stuff working on agility like there's so much fun stuff that you can do um to one, just increase variety and therefore enjoyment with your clients, um, but also, yeah, to disguise certain exercises as just like fun and play, um, depending on the personality, depending on the age, depending on how much yeah, stimulation they need, um, all of that kind of stuff, which I think is, yeah, not something that we necessarily get like taught to do as a form of injury prevention or as a form of coaching, all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, like even just last night, like my partner and I go out for a walk in the evenings and we just started like mucking around and we just started like playing tag, like chasing each other, which was like so fun. And we didn't even realize it at the time. We were like so like puffed out afterwards. It was like a really great cardio workout, but it's also like not, it didn't feel like exercise, right? Like it was just fun. Like we were just playing tag. And so, yeah, I think. I think it's great to be able to incorporate a little bit of play. Like it could look like anything, like it could look like surfing. It could look like rock climbing. It could look like anything. Um, just getting out there and trying things and seeing what you enjoy and what you like doing. Exactly. And I think there's, you know, just to, I suppose, wrap up this conversation in a way, like there's, I think a difference between intentional play and like being smart about what it is that you're like including for the outcome that you're trying to do and Mm. just like redundant exercises because I think if I use f45 as an example of just like redundant time feeling nonsense with half the stuff that I used to do there like yeah cool exercises can be like fun and like a certain like there's a novelty to them but if it's just like stupid things to fill in 45 seconds like there's no point yeah um really just like like, play um 
to yeah like movements that are are recreations of other things yeah I totally agree like it really depends on the outcome it really depends on the client it really depends on their level uh and things like that because you see all sorts of things on Instagram as well and it's just about you know knowing your client you know working together towards their goals but then also you know doing what may be most beneficial for them as well because it's not going to be for everyone like at this point in my life like probably there's not a whole lot um but then also at this point in life it could be games it could be like playing soccer playing tennis like Mm -hmm. it's it's still a different form of play but it's still all movement and all exercise yeah definitely I've noticed a big um upturn in the amount of like young people that are getting back into team sport um like so many people I know are doing whether it's like soccer like social soccer or social netball and all of this kind of stuff and I think or even just group classes again versus you know doing just one-on-one training or doing stuff in your own time and I think a lot of people are crave it's because a lot of people are craving connection um but again that's something to sort of take into consideration as well when when we are coaching is how can we yeah increase the amount of connection um sociability all of that kind of stuff as well um so yeah I think that's a great place to wrap up this episode we've got through so much like we've obviously we talked about injury we talked about training the elderly population we touched on kids I will put the name of the show that I recommended in the show notes as well just because but like just bear warning I cry in most episodes but like yeah. in a wholesome way <laughs> I feel like I would too <laughs> Um, so yeah, thank you, Kayla, so much for coming on this week's episode of the AWPT podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. Thank you for having me back and let us know guys, whether there's anything you would like us to discuss, chat about, um, and we'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the AWPT podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share it with your friends and fellow coaches and subscribe for weekly episodes and content.